Welcome to the Sustainability and You podcast, a series of interviews focusing on facts shared by passionate advocates who are part of the movement towards net zero. I'm Josephine Bush, and I'm the founder of the Sustainability and You platform. And I'm Tilly Wickens, the leader of our Young Ambassadors Council. In this podcast series, our aim is to raise awareness, encourage collaboration, and join the dots between disciplines that will influence policy and decision-making as we move to net zero. We are aiming to bridge the gap between silos and generations, strengthening the lines of communication with a small, influential community of people who care and are passionate about how we create change. episode of the Sustainability and You podcast, we interviewed Jessica Attard, Programme Director for Health and Social Programmes at Share Action. Jessica is an experienced, entrepreneurial and socially conscious leader with a strong track record of developing cross-sector partnerships that improve population health and well-being. We explored and were particularly interested in Share Action's approach to system stewardship, their framework for health, what we actually mean by health, and how organisations and investors should approach their obligations to generate a healthier society. As well as bolstering the concept of fiduciary duty to include such considerations, we discuss wider risk assessments that take into account health impacts within the economic system as a result of investment activity. This was a very thought-provoking podcast, providing a positive signal as to how sustainability and ESG initiatives and reporting will and should evolve. So welcome Jessica to the Sustainability and You podcast. Katie and I are so pleased to have this opportunity to speak with you. So thank you for your time. Um, We wanted to start with just finding out a little bit about you and your role with Share Action and how you came to be where you are today. So if you could share with us your story, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, sure. And thank you so much for having me. I think that that's a big question to start off with. But um, I guess I've always had a bit of a sense of sort of injustice and wanting to fight for greater fairness in the world right from a really young age. Um And looking back on it, maybe that's because I'm the daughter of an economic migrant. And maybe it's because I was born and grew up in Slough, where, for example, life expectancy is is 12 years less than the national average. And there's huge, um, huge inequalities there. But that strong sense of sort of wanting to make a positive difference in the world has really stuck with me. And, and the kind of common thread that's ran throughout my career is really about working with business. So big, um, often multinational corporations to drive um, to drive greater social impact. And so I've worked within big business, outside of big business, um, 
often across different um, sectors, so building partnerships across private, public and voluntary sectors uh, to drive greater impact than any one sort of organisation could do on their own. But I think what I've learned in that journey is that the investor lever, so the power that shareholders uh, have over companies is incredibly um, it's incredibly powerful and those investors can really have an impact on the policies, practices and ultimately the, the kind of impact that companies have. And so what better place to work with investors and shareholders than at Share Action, um, where we um, we work with the investment system uh, in lots of different ways, but particularly I oversee the health and good work programmes there. Wow, what a great story. And I love that insight on the early years influence on some of the choices that you've made, because it makes it very authentic, your engagement with what you do today and your activity. And I think it's a great example of finding purpose mm-hmm. in what you do with an individual, uh, as an individual, and aligning that to your organisational purpose as well that's a really really powerful story so thank you for sharing that we'd just like to move into then more specifically if we take a step back as to what you do with share action you obviously started to talk about that um, as you were telling us your story so um, it would be lovely to hear um, a little bit more about the broader remit of what share action does and obviously specifically your role but how their strategy has evolved and particularly over the last few years as we've seen more sort of shareholder action and intervention and how that's influencing its mission to today. Yeah so share action has been around since since I think 2005 and and of course it's evolved over that time but the the focus on the investment sector has has remained but quite how we engage, work with, challenge, hold uh, hold accountable that sector has has evolved over time. Um, So our mission really is to build a financial system that serves our planet and its people. Uh, And particularly my focus is the second bit of that, the people bit. Um, So where we started really was a focus on uh, working with pension funds, pension providers, and doing lots of kind of in-depth research and benchmarking uh, within that sector. And and that's really what we're known for, that that kind of high quality benchmarking, which helps to hold, hold the industry to account. But over time, we've we've evolved our theory of change and our model. And and whilst we still do lots of benchmarking, and, and we've recently released a benchmark of the seventy seven um, world's largest asset managers, which is a really really interesting read, um, looking at how they're performing against a whole range of responsible investing kind of metrics. Um, but we do a lot of campaigning as well, so. We pick off particular uh, issues that where we think the investment sector can drive accelerated progress. We build coalitions of investors around those issues um, and we engage with companies to, to tackle them. 
Uh, so we've got kind of three um, three ways of working across share action. Um, one of them is around kind of policy, policy advocacy. So looking at how we can um, influence the rules and incentives that um, that determine how the investment sector operates today. Um, the other is our is our research and our benchmarking, which I've mentioned. And the third is our corporate campaigns. So building that investor support to impactfully engage with companies. Great. Well, thank you for that overview as well. Um, I mean, when I look at uh, what Share Act, uh, Action does, I often think of you as the, you know, sort of conscience <laughs> of, of, of society and integrating um that sort of more philosophical and ethical aspect to decision making and 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 a worldview, I think that um, keeps people honest to what's happening with our planet and our sort of people. It would be really good to get your sense of whether that ethos resonates and is really part of a uh, a movement really to bring a different type of. Um, approach to uh, investment decision making? Mm, yeah, it's an interesting question. And certainly I can say that without exception, everybody who works at Share Action is incredibly passionate about, about what they do and, and making a positive impact in the world, which is, is really kind of rewarding and motivating um, place to be. I guess we, we come with a, a few kind of shared viewpoints which inform how we work and, and why we do what we do. Um, one of those is, is around health, um, which is particularly relevant to, to the work that I focus on. So certainly the way the way that we view health uh, is that our health is very much shaped by the world around us. So that includes commercial entities, businesses who determine things like the quality of jobs that we do, the cleanliness of the air that we breathe, right through to the products that end up in our kitchen cupboards and on our on our plates. And what we believe and what we, we know is that aggressive marketing and, and pricing strategies, particularly from players, for example, like the food industry, uh, have a huge influence on our health and particularly for people on lower incomes who have less uh, kind of options available to them. We know that company practices have a real impact on, on people and on their health. And so it's our view that to improve our population health, expecting to try and improve our collective willpower as a society just isn't an effective approach to really shifting the dial on on the challenges that we're facing like uh like rising obesity levels like increasing uh, chronic health conditions uh, instead we want to really stem the flow of unhealthy products into our environment uh, and take them out of the spotlight so addressing that kind of marketing um market Marketing challenge. And so it's that kind of that view, that belief that shapes a lot of the work we do on health and why we are kind of focused on working with the investment system to improve the impact that companies have on people's health. So that's really important. And it's worth saying that although that's our kind of view, it's also, you know, well supported by, by empirical evidence as well. The other thing that I think it's worth saying is that we definitely believe that investors can be a force for good um, but also that they're not doing enough 
And so that's my weird share action. Really try quite hard to play the role of a critical friend to the investment system. So um, so shifting them uh, further and further towards having a better impact on people and planet. Um, so we believe that it's possible for investors to have a positive impact uh, and, and we're working with them to try and achieve that. And then linked to that point is this case uh, about financial materiality. So uh, often we hear investors say, we can't focus on X or Y social topic because it's not financially material to us. Um, We believe that in many cases, at least looking on a long-term time horizon, financial materiality is well aligned to planetary and social goals. But in the cases where it isn't, we do think that you know, if you really want to be an, a responsible investor, what that means is that you should still take the negative and positive impacts on people and planet as seriously as financial risk and return. So investors wanting to be responsible in what they do really do need to consider the positive and negative impacts of their work as seriously as financial return and to move away from this very narrow definition of of financial return that that we often um, we often hear about. You think that needs to be better embedded into the concept of fiduciary duty because this debate has been had hasn't it in relation to the consideration of environmental impact, but it's not extended uh, so far as to think about some of these broader and more indirect impacts on people and health and other such sort of social issues. And it it strikes me that it's in the same pot (laughs) as that. It's long-term thinking. It's integrating those broader impacts into how one makes investment decisions and deploys capital. I I totally agree. And that's one of the things that Share Action is calling for, which is kind of clarifications to fiduciary duty and how that's kind of articulated and and defined. So certainly we think that it's in uh, in the interest of uh, sort of pension fund beneficiaries to retire into a world with good health. And so when when pension fund trustees are thinking about what's in the best interest of these beneficiaries, they should be thinking about that both in terms of financial return, uh, but also in terms of what's the world going to be like that these people are retiring into. Um, So that brings in some of those broader points around, around health around climate change biodiversity um, and so we're we're really trying to um trying to call for that definition like fiduciary duty to be evolved to take into account a broader understanding of beneficiaries yeah. interest uh, well and, and i think even in, uh, from a commercial perspective your people are your business yeah so absolutely <laughs> workforce there is no business there is no commercial proposition so um, many strategies art- articulate people being at the heart of mm-hmm. the organisation, but I mean, this is this is the proof point, I suppose, isn't it? What are you doing to protect your people and look after your people, Katie? I'm really interested in your argument that investors can be a, a force for for good, and I know that 
Share Action has a lot of interest in the idea of system stewardship. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and perhaps how investors might integrate it into their investment decisions and, and general portfolio management? Yeah, so system stewardship is this idea that I find incredibly interesting and that organisations, particularly, for example, shareholder commons um, in the States have been developing over the last few years. And the basic premise is that modern investing requires diversification to, to mitigate risk. And it's increasingly clear that this diversification means that the most important factor determining returns over the long term is the return of the market itself. Um, and so rather than any particular company um, sort of outperforming, um, actually it's it's the performance of the market overall that determines um, determines the returns. And actually there's there's interesting data that shows up to 94% of portfolio returns is determined determined by market performance more broadly. Um, and so we know that of course the performance of the economy itself determines market performance. Um, and so a system stewardship approach suggests that diversified investors, which many are now, um, should consider when they're considering sustainability questions, they should prioritise the systemic effects of company decisions around sustainability over and above those effects of the decision on the company itself. So that sounds a bit a bit complicated, but basically the premise is um, if you're looking at, at topics, for example, like population health um, or economic inequality, we know that these things are really important for helping the economy to thrive in general and the market overall market performance. Uh, but at an individual company level, it may not be in a company's immediate best interest from a purely financial lens to pay a living wage or to shift their product portfolio towards a healthier portfolio. So you might be able to make arguments that say, particularly in the short term, that that's not financially in the company's best interest. But when you look at the uh, impact on society more widely and the knock-on impact uh, on the economy and on the investment portfolio as a whole, suddenly the financials start to look a bit a bit different. And so what we'd be saying and what system stewardship says is that investors who are diversified should be prioritising those uh, system level risks over and above risks at the individual company level. And that's a, it's a really interesting perspective, isn't it? Because do you think that's in tension with the idiosyncratic kind of analysis of an entity on a standalone basis where you might look for quantitative indicators of ESG performance and linking it to outperformance, as you say, on mm -hmm. financial returns, because that um, is definitely something that's used as a driver for individual entities to develop sustainability strategies and effective and impactful ESG initiatives. 
Certainly from uh, the perspective of the investment system, I think system stewardship really challenges the, the status quo. Um, we know that kind of individual portfolio managers are, are often remunerated and their bonuses are determined based on individual companies outperforming the market and driving them. But it's worth coming back to that, that 94% figure. Yeah. Um, we're, we're essentially incentivizing the, the wrong behaviour uh, across um across a lot of uh, investment system players yeah i mean it's certainly a powerful uh, statistic isn't it to encourage sort of wholesale adoption of sustainability strategies because the power of the many then is contributing to that that system response and market trends um, but yeah that's a, i think that's a really interesting one for people to think through can you give some examples of good stewardship practices that you, you've referred to and initiatives that you've seen that uh, our audience could think about and uh, think about adopting? Yeah, certainly. So I can share an example, a recent example of where investors have really stepped up to use the tools at their disposal to drive impact. So that's what we're all about at Share Action. It's uh, it's. A, really encouraging investors not just to set good policies but also to see those policies through so we want to see investors taking impactful actions in the real world that drive real world impact um, and so I'll tell you a little bit about our health program and, and what we've been doing um, on that so our health program is called the long-term investors in people's health uh, program and it aims to establish health as a core ESG theme and help the investment system to really recognise population health as an asset. And so we're calling on investors to actively mitigate the systemic uh, and company level risks associated with ill health. Um, and that includes things like high rates of economic inactivity. Uh, it includes things like um, you know, sub suboptimal productivity levels and, and high absence rates. Uh, and part of that work uh, involves us working in partnership with an investor alliance that we've been growing over the last few years. And it focuses on the food industry in particular, aiming to reduce the negative impact that those companies have on us all uh, and to educate investors of the incoming regulatory and other risks associated with food companies who are over-reliant on the sale of unhealthy products. And so we've been doing this work since, since around 2019, um, but particularly over the last year, we've, we've been focusing in on uh, a, a set of global food manufacturers. Uh, and one of the ones that we've sort of had an escalated uh, process of engagement with is Nestle. So Nestle are the world's largest food manufacturer, and we've been calling on them with our investor alliance to do three things. Um, and that is to disclose the proportion of their sales coming from healthier products, to set a target to grow that proportion of healthier sales, and also to define healthier uh, using a government endorsed definition. Um, so there are three asks. We make those asks of um, all the UK retailers and um, a, a good handful of global manufacturers. 
Um, we've seen big shifts in the UK retail space since we've been making that ask, and we're we're starting to see um, to see the manufacturing industry move too. But so with Nestle, we've been uh, engaging with them for over two years, and that involves uh, facilitating investor uh, investor meetings with the company, with uh, executives at the company, sending investor signed letters, attending AGMs to ask questions and, and to challenge the board, um, and a whole host of, of, of other things like um, public statements uh, and press work. And... We really started to escalate this work last year. Uh, we were really pleased uh, towards the end of last year when Nestle agreed to uh, the disclosure ask. So they have now uh, disclosed their proportion of sales coming from healthier products uh, across, I think it's 16 of their global markets. So that's really important from the perspective of being able to hold them to account for their impact on people. Um, so investors, um, NGOs and, and others can can see how they're doing over time, um, and it's really it's also particularly important for investors to be able to assess uh, how exposed they are to some of the incoming regulatory risks to companies who are over reliant on the sale of unhealthy products. So that's a really good step in the right direction. But what they haven't yet done is set a target uh, to start rebalancing their portfolio to, towards those healthier sales. So they've said they will set um, a target to grow their healthier uh, the healthier part of their portfolio. But what we want to see is a real commitment to shifting the sales towards those healthier options. Uh, and so we're, we're keeping on with Nestle. We're continuing to engage with them. We're expecting uh, an announcement early September um, and, and kind of keeping, uh, keeping our fingers crossed that they'll really step up to the plate. Um, but, but I think why this is a great example is because we've really seen lots and lots of investors in our in our investor alliance being incredibly engaged joining lots of meetings with the company briefing sessions asking really good questions in those meetings and really challenging nestle's responses where where appropriate and where they haven't felt sufficient many investors asked agm questions and sub submitted questions through to their agm as well as signing on to private letters and public statements and I think this really shows that when investors really take concerted action and, and particularly collaborative action to move a company, they can move even the world's largest food manufacturer to start disclosing. And, mm. and we hope we'll move them to set targets too. So that's just one example of our work. I mean, it's a great example of, of, of the power of education as well um, on supply side, isn't it? I mean, a lot of the oil and gas companies have come under criticism for this because they've always sort of reverted to, well, the demand is still there. So we're just we're just meeting the demand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but actually, what this is saying is uh, as a huge influencer of behaviors and consumer choices then the, there's a huge obligation to move that to a different place that's for the benefit of, of, of people and planet that's right i mean there's um some really interesting evidence uh particularly coming out of an organization called impact on urban health which 
has worked with a lot of uh, low-income families uh, in South London. Um, and what they found was that actually, if you're on a low income, your options are really limited when it comes to trying to access um, healthier options, particularly where time is not necessarily in your favour and where uh, you know convenience is particularly key. Actually, there's a real price premium on options that are convenient, that are affordable and that are healthy. Um, and so there, there's a problem here in terms of the, the the options that people have available to them on the supermarket shelves. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting you talk about positive concerted action. And I know that divestment has been a very fiercely debated subject, particularly in the media at the moment. Obviously, Josephine mentioned oil and gas particularly contentious in respect to those sorts of companies. What What is your view on divestment, um, and that particularly in relation to the principle of, of stewardship as an alternative? So it, it really comes down to what the investor is trying to achieve. If it's about limiting exposure to a certain industry or a certain um, certain negative impacts, or whether it's about actually driving real world positive change. And so from our perspective, we're all about the latter. So driving real world positive impact through um, investment practice. And so divestment can be a blunt tool for that. Um, but as with lots of tools, it's, it's how you use it that counts. Um, and so it's, it's a common misnomer that you either divest or engage. Actually, those things can be on the same continuum. And divestment can be a kind of um, a final escalation tool um, in, a, in a kind of uh, engagement process. And, and I think it's important that divestment be on the table if, if a company uh, really isn't responding to, um, to previous forms of engagement and that kind of mm-hmm. engagement has failed. Um, and if yeah. used in that way, it can be an effective tool. I think it's really about uh, investors being uh, quite mindful about what they're trying to achieve and, and you know, taking uh, impact uh, as seriously as that financial return and really using all of the tools in their toolbox to drive impact. Mm-hmm. It sounds like maybe some work needs to be done to break down the binary between disengagement and engagement. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's true. I think often it is seen as a binary and it doesn't need to be. Um, mm-hmm. Divestment can be a, a part of the engagement process. And as you say, it doesn't necessarily change the impact in the real economy. So investors have to be very mindful of what their ultimate objective mm-hmm. is and, and theory of change is in that that regard. You've articulated very clearly um, your focus across a diverse investor base and um, the necessity to have government policy aligned as well to generating sort of behavioural change in investment decision making uh, as much as anything and and, and empowering people. We talked about the power of uh, education, particularly with the great example with Nestle that you had um, talked about. Um, What area do you think warrants the greatest focus for us now to bring about the change that we want to see. It's a hugely complex but interconnected landscape, isn't it? You know, what what is the biggest thing that's going to shift us? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and I'm not sure I've got a great answer for you. Um, so Share Action is all about working to shift the investment system. That's because we think the investment system is an incredibly powerful, but also underutilised lever for change. Um, and, and we do that working directly with investors, but also, as you say, working with beneficiaries, working with ordinary savers like you and I uh, to hold the investment system to account and to call for, for corporate progress. And alongside that, we aim to reform the rules and incentives that, that drive investor behaviour through our policy work. And of course, there's, there's no one silver bullet, right? So our approach works because we have all of those different elements to our theory of change. And, and, and certainly, I think we've seen that, that by using policy work, by using advocacy, by working with people with lived experience, by harnessing the power of those investors and their, and their shares in big companies, all of those elements really add up to more than the sum of their parts and have helped us to, to achieve the wins that we have done so far. When I was um, doing some research in Share Action, I was really, really interested in your framework for health and how this functions as a, as a metric through which organisations can measure well-being. It's something I've not really seen before. I'd just love to know a bit more about the components of this framework and and perhaps how many problems you've encountered when when coming to defining health? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think uh, first thing I always do when I talk about health is to try and define what we at Share Action mean by health, because we know that it's understood very differently by, by different people. Um, and so really what underpins our work is this idea that 80 percent, up to 80 percent of our health is shaped by the world around us. So the food we, we eat, the air we breathe, the quality of jobs we do. Um, actually, very little of our health is determined by genetics, by, by healthcare provision, for example, although, of course, those, those things are important and have a role. And so when we think about health, we're thinking about these wider determinants, these things that um, that determine our health and our influence by the environment around us. And we're really trying to prevent ill health uh, across the population. So preventing people turning to the hospital. Um, and so our framework for health, it stops short of providing uh actual kind of empirical metrics but it does help to contextualize and focus investors minds as to how companies they're investing in can impact on health so it has three pillars um, and intentionally sort of mirrors uh, the greenhouse gas disclosure framework with its three scopes um, so our three pillars for health uh, pillar one is worker health uh, so that's really thinking about how do companies influence the health of their workers? Often this is through um, whether they pay the living wage, whether they offer secure contracts, uh, whether they have supportive policies and practices internally. So that's worker health. That's pillar one. Uh, pillar two is consumer health. So this is thinking about the products, the services uh, that are made, manufactured, marketed uh, by companies. So this is their kind of core reason for being. Are those things uh, good for health? Are they supportive or, or are they creating negative health externalities? And then the third pillar is about community health. So that's really thinking about all the things a company does, its operations, for example, that might have a knock on impact 
onto people's health. So particularly here, one example would be uh, an, the impact that companies have on air quality, which we know affects our health. So that's the three pillar framework. We set that out in our in our guide for health, which we published last year. And there's lots of information for investors in there about how they can integrate uh, a thinking of health and, and using that framework uh, right throughout the investment cycle. I think that's a really interesting framework. And I mean, how do you see that um, integrating uh, more fully into you know, the corporate sustainability reporting directive, this, you know, the proposed social taxonomy, or even the evolution of the ISSB standards, which, you know, currently start with, you know, financial materiality and impacts for investors, but there is an indication that it will extend beyond that to some of the sort of double materiality um, con- considerations. Yeah, and and that double materiality, I think, is really, really important, Uh, really will help to focus investors' minds, both not only on uh, how how at risk companies are uh, to certain certain kind of trends, but also what impact those investors are having having on people and planet. So that's a a really positive step in the right direction. Uh, And certainly we would really like to see elements of the framework we've developed reflecting in uh, sort of national and international reporting standards and frameworks. And um, we do have a strand of work um, trying to to influence that to happen. So particularly we're calling um, on ISSB uh, to set a social topic as their next uh, as their next focus and if that happens we'll be wanting to weave some key health metrics into that well that would be great wouldn't it because that challenge of the alphabet soup of sort of frameworks and standard standards is is you know a particular um burden for organizations obviously you want to see get you know you want people to see it as an opportunity but you know, it's a it is a compliance burden as well. So the the the, the alignment that we can uh, generate through those uh, initiatives will be very welcome, I think, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of the population. Um, you advocate very strongly, as you've said, um, uh, for the social uh, taxonomy and and the evolution of free uh, reporting um, frameworks. I think. In your experience and with your interaction with investors, how do you think this movement to move more into those social issues in a very meaningful way, such that they're measured much more uh, impactfully um, and and, and linked to organisational performance, how is that landing with the community of people that, that, that you speak to? And where do you see the biggest gaps for improvement yeah it's a good question so we we work most closely with our investor alliance so so that contains about 40 uh, sort of global asset managers and asset owners and represents around five trillion uh dollars of assets under management within that we're looking to continue growing it so I guess that alliance represents the leaders in this space right they've already signed up um, and, and uh, said that they're particularly interested in, in health as a topic and that they buy into the idea that it is a financially material topic as well 
But as I mentioned before, we do do uh, kind of benchmarks of the world's largest asset managers, which gives us a bit more of a representative sample and idea of what the industry is doing in general and, and whether they're kind of taking up new topics and, and so on. And what we found in our so for the first time ever, we asked some questions about health in the most recent benchmark that we did. Um, and what we found is that just 16% of asset managers are including any health-related risks in their, uh, in their risk assessment when they decide which companies to invest in. And we thought that was really shocking, uh, not least because we asked this question in the backdrop of a global health pandemic, uh, which, of course, had had huge, huge knock-on effects to the economy. And yet just 16% of asset managers are considering any health-related risks in that approach. So um, I think what that tells us is that there's a, there's a long way to go. We've got a big job on our hands uh, to really see health uh established and, and fully taken up as a responsible investment and ESG ESG theme. So that's a really important trend then, isn't it, for, for, for people to be aware of because I can foresee that we'll push more into uh, that space. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And, and we'll be um, trying to advocate for um, and partner and work with others, build our, build our global alliance, um, and also develop a set of tools, resources, um, and so on to really help investors to, to go further and faster in relation to health. We've, um, we, we've spoken quite a lot about what investors need to, to improve on. Um, I wonder what policy developments you'd like to see to, to better champion some of Share Action's principles and and is this a case of legislation or or rather in, increasing awareness? Yeah, so particularly Share Action focuses on policy and regulation as it pertains to the investment system. Um, and it's worth saying that the framework uh, for investor stewardship in the UK, the policy framework, is really fragmented. Um, so we've got, uh, for example, the stewardship code, which is the primary kind of regulatory mechanism uh, governing stewardship. Um, and that's owned by the Financial Reporting Council, but it's voluntary. So it's up to investors whether they sign up and they can drop out uh, when the going gets tough. And so we think whilst we think the code is is really good, um, we do want it to become uh, mandatory or at least a kind of um, a, to have a minimum legal expectation set around stewardship for asset owners and asset managers. So that's something that we're we're calling for. And it would be, I think, really helpful for the clients of these asset managers to really understand how those managers are living up to their commitments around sustainability. One of the things that our, our policy team in the UK is focused on is that this Financial Reporting Council, who owns the Stewardship Code at the moment, um, is set to gain uh, additional powers to put them on a statutory footing in line with the pensions regulator and the FCA, um, which would be really positive and it would give them the powers to enforce um, enforce a certain sort of minimum, minimum standard 
when it comes to stewardship. But so far, despite kind of broad agreement across the House of Commons, the government has failed uh, to introduce uh, the relevant regulation and and give the Financial Reporting Council uh, these additional powers. Uh, And so we really, really want to see this this happen over the next uh, few months and we'll be calling um, calling on the government to, uh, to do that. Katie, over to you for our final question again. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you're just looking at it through a kind of ESG lens, given the recent and obviously much needed focus on the E side of things and environmental risks, do you think the S component has been overlooked by investors generally? And is this due to, a, as you mentioned before, misalignment of the financial impact of these risks? And are we perhaps seeing a shift towards this as, as investors start to anticipate various regulatory changes? Yeah, so absolutely the S or social factors have generally been overlooked. Um, of course, uh, environmental factors are incredibly important and we want to see investors doing much more on environmental factors as well. Um, but look, we can't overlook social factors. They're incredibly important. Um, and, and I think what we've seen is investors really sort of lagging behind when it comes to social factors. But there is an increasing focus uh, and, and we're trying to kind of insert health into that as as that ticks up. And I think we've got a lot to learn from the climate movement and um, for how we make this work for, for social factors and, and for health specifically. So we definitely want to see investors kind of rebalancing and um, adding additional resource uh, to really focus on social factors. Um, we definitely want to see policymakers uh, thinking much more about social factors. Uh, and, you know, obviously mentioned that we're calling on the ISSB to, to look at social factors next. But there's a lot of a lot of work to do. Um, the the thing that gives me hope is that we do see some investors really taking big bold steps as it pertains to health, as it pertains to um, good work and paying the living wage, ethnicity pay gap. So all of these social factors that we know are, are really important. There is emerging practice um, that's really starting to shift the dial. But we want to see many many more investors uh, joining and, and taking up the challenge. Sounds like there's there's cause for hope. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Jessica, I, I, you've given us such food for thought, I think, through the course of this podcast. It's certainly made me think and it's been incredibly insightful. Thank you so much for your time and, and those insights. I, I suspect there's lots to take away from our audience in terms of how they evolve their thinking strategies and and frameworks themselves um so thank you for sharing um your points of view and thank you for all that you do within this space um we'll definitely pick up with you again i think in the future as these frameworks start to evolve it's been incredibly interesting thank you thank you well thank you so much for having me